All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. we got a terrific Friday morning show for you, including spring forward and fall back. Yes, it's that time of year again. Time to set your clocks back. So don't forget, before you go to bed Saturday night, the clocks fall back by one hour. Goodbye to daylight savings time. We return once again to Pacific Standard Time. Now, will this be the last time you have to do this? Don't forget... Premier John Horgan promised BC would scrap the twice-a-year clock change. We'd go to permanent daylight time. So what's the deal with that? How come we're still changing our clocks? Well, it's because BC is waiting for other jurisdictions in our time zone to do the same thing, Washington, Oregon, and California. A lot of people have thoughts about this, and I want you to think about it for me and get set to call me later on the show Do you want to go to that permanent daylight time? We'll talk about a great guest on that coming up a little later on the show, and we'll take your calls on it. So that is coming up on the show and lots more. But first, let's talk about crime rates in British Columbia. New stats out from Statistics Canada. They show several serious crime hotspots in the province. A new report from the Vancouver Police Department, meanwhile, says Vancouver crime levels for 2020 similar to 2019, but what else is going on in terms of crime stats in this country? Now, have a listen to this report on Vancouver crime statistics here from Global News reporter Aaron MacArthur. Pushed to the ground, punched in the street, racial epithets defaced cultural markers. The list is long. Since the beginning of the pandemic, crimes against people of Asian descent in Vancouver have skyrocketed. Vancouver police reporting a 138% spike in race-based crimes over the first nine months of the year. Vancouver school trustee Ellen Wong says it needs to stop. It's not surprising. It is, it is something that is very alarming to me, and it needs to be addressed, particularly in the school system. Stats compiled by the VPD for the police board paint a varied picture of crime in the city. While some categories are down, others continue to show steady, unsettling growth. It's bad here. It's not good. In the last several months, crime has definitely increased. There's no doubt about it. Needles out front, um, lots of garbage, those types of things, and it's gotten out of control. So, Despite the perception on the street, the VPD says property crime is down 20% overall, mostly because people aren't reporting as many car break-ins. Violent assaults are up 14.1%, and there are 14 murders this year, five more than in 2019. Community groups wonder if the stats tell the whole story. For so many women, that being in lockdown, being in quarantine with an abusive partner create, creates a, you know, an untenable situation. According to the VPD, intimate partner violence is up 5%, but the executive director of the Battered Women Support Services knows the numbers are far higher. In the same time period, they're reporting 400% more calls. More women are more comfortable with a community-based response and will go to a community-based response, uh, perhaps at the exclusion uh, of uh, police. Assaults against police officers are also up considerably in the first nine months of the year. 47% more calls in 2020. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. All right, thank you for that report there from Global News reporter Aaron MacArthur on crime rates in Vancouver and elsewhere in British Columbia. Yeah, so there's some conflicting numbers there, at least when you compare it to public perception. 
about crime. Big increase there in hate crimes, as you heard Aaron describe, especially against Asian people during the COVID-19 pandemic. That is a troubling statistic. Also, some of the stats out yesterday from Stats Canada show a sharp increase in child pornography crime, which is really troubling. All right, let's dig a little deeper into these statistics now with my guest, Nahani Pollard. She is a criminologist at Douglas College, and I'm very pleased to welcome her to the show. Hi, thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, when you dig into these crime stats, and I know this is your area of expertise, what jumps out at you? Because sometimes, I don't know, it, it seems a little conflicting. Sometimes I see stories that say the crime rate is actually going down. Then I see some other indicators say it's going up. What jumps out at you? Well, I mean, it's it's so fascinating, especially this year, that everyone's been experiencing sort of this upheaval with, with COVID and, and changes to our daily routines. I mean, I think it's um, we need to remember that that crime statistics are... Uh, a reflection of what's going on, but they're not necessarily a perfect picture, right? Because we have to actually know, um, you know, much more about a situation before we can say, okay, well, this is this is the uh, the absolute truth. So crime statistics always rely on, first and foremost, somebody reporting something. Uh, if we don't right. know a crime has happened, you know, it can't get into sort of those official statistics. Um, and it also requires, uh, you know, looking at, okay, well, if people are perhaps hesitant to report, you know, our statistics might be quite low, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean our, our risk is low. Um, you know, and, and rising crime statistics can also be due to changes in reporting. Um, you know, from time to time, we change, <clears throat> excuse me, our 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 definitions of, of what crime fits in what category. Uh, and often we have to change our criminal code in response to new crimes that may come online. Uh, specifically when we look at such crime categories that have to deal with, say, fraud, uh, especially over the internet or different ways that we're using, you know, um, the internet and, and sort of more of the computerized era to commit offenses against each other, uh, we see those stats go up because, well, we didn't, we didn't have those before, right? We didn't have a definition. And, uh, you know, so sometimes that can contribute to it as well. Right. I'm taking a look at uh, some of the stats that came out from Stats Canada, particularly the Crime Severity Index, the CSI, mm-hmm. uh, which shows uh, some increase here, and especially uh, for some cities in British Columbia, notably with the CSI, the Crime Severity Index, going up. What is that, first of all, the, the Crime Severity Index? Yeah, no, great question. So the Crime Severity Index uh, was, a, was a metric that StatCan developed uh, several years ago, um, I think coming on 10 years ago, uh, to better represent sort of what uh, the severity of crime was in our neighbourhoods. When we look at just classic cl- crime rates, um, we separate them into, you know, violent crime, property crime, and other. So violent crime in our classic crime rates tends to be heavily influenced by the level of assault level ones, which is the least serious level of assault. So that can be, you know, something as simple as, um, you know, slapping someone in the face and not to, not to negate the severity of that instance, right. but it's a, it's a fairly, fairly low level, low injury type event, but it happens very frequently. And so classic crime rates, uh, because of the overrepresentation of low level offenses, um, you know, they don't necessarily give a very good picture of, of perhaps risk or dangerousness. And so StatCan developed the Crime Severity Index um, to weight uh, different types of crimes based on sort of our 
our analysis of how serious they are in society. So, for instance, you know, if you had a jurisdiction that had, you know, a murder, that's going to be classified as more serious than a jurisdiction that just had an assault level one, even though their violent crime rate, classic crime rate, would be exactly the same. Okay, so when I take a look at some of these uh, these numbers from StatsCan, it shows uh, some sharp increases in the CSI, the Crime Severity Index, in Kelowna, Victoria, mm-hmm. Vancouver, also increasing n- rates of fraud, child pornography, which seems to be way up, sexual assault up, some shoplifting numbers up. Is this something we should worry about? Like, is there, is there sort of a disconnect between public perception around crime rates and what's actually happening? Like, is crime going up right now? Well, I think, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head there. There often is a, a disconnect between the public perception of crime rates and, and what's sort of happening. Um, but that doesn't negate our experience of crime. You know, earlier in the in the segment, there were some interviews with people saying, well, I've seen this happening. And, right. and people's experience is really important, right? Um, but no, it doesn't necessarily, our, our sort of individual experience with crime doesn't necessarily give a holistic picture or, or a complete picture. Um, you know, so in terms of, you know, should we be worried? Well, I don't think we can rely just on you know, the crime severity index or, or any sort of crime statistics as one measure. I keep thinking of, you know, our beloved Dr. Bonnie Henry, and, you know, she was, she was talking about how they make decisions based on a number of metrics, you know, about sort of where the virus is going. And, you know, I think, it's, I think it should really be the same with crime. You know, it's helpful when we look at the crime severity index. Um, it's also helpful to look at the volume of crime. It's also helpful to look at the types of crimes or the types of opportunity structures. Um, you know, all those things together, I think, give a, a better indication. Thanks for coming on with your perspective on it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, I, for, I, thanks for having me. All right. Welcome back. Tomorrow's Halloween is going to be one of the weirdest Halloweens we've ever had during the COVID-19 pandemic. Are you wondering how to handle Halloween this year with the COVID-19 pandemic going on? Yeah, lots of people are. Lots of ideas out there on how to safely trick-or-treat, give out candy, celebrate the holidays in different ways, but and without that fear of catching or spreading the COVID-19 virus. Now, Dr. Bonnie Henry, the provincial health officer, was on with Simi this morning, and she talked about safe trick-or-treating. Here's what she said. Let's make it a special day for for kids, I think, doing outdoor things like uh, small groups trick-or-treating in the neighborhood, setting it up ahead of time so everybody's um, prepared and planned to have small groups around. And there's some really cool things that I know people are doing to to make it safe, whether it's candy tubes or hockey sticks sticks or uh, I have a friend who's uh, with her kids are setting it up on a, a clothesline with little uh, alligator clips and oh, you know cheers. there's lots of neat things that we can do and and I also think we can do things around the home with kids and uh, I know another family where they have uh, um, it's a multi-family home and they're having all the kids uh, go to each door and the adults are having something different at each door in the home. You know, these are the things that we can do to make it fun and special and small. Okay, lots of people coming up with interesting ideas for trick-or-treaters that may be coming to the door tomorrow night. I wonder if the turnout of kids will be lower this Halloween. We'll see. I'll be ready. Uh, I guess I'll have some candy ready to go for the kids tomorrow night. Yeah, you hear lots of ideas out there, candy slides, catapults. 
you know, put out a put out a trunk of uh, treats outside for kids to pick up themselves. I mean, there are different ideas around there about how to do this tomorrow night. Okay, let's check in now with Dr. Srinivas Murthy. He's an infectious disease expert, clinical associate professor at the UBC Faculty of Medicine. Dr. Murthy, thanks a lot for coming on. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Thanks a lot for doing this. How will Halloween look different this year? Like you mentioned in the preamble there, like it's going to be distant, it's going to be small groups, but it's going to be fun too, I think. I think most families that are participating are going to find creative ways of doing things to keep our kids happy and have them look forward to this special day. Okay, I guess we can look at it from two perspectives. You got the perspective of the people handing out the treats, so the adults at the door waiting for the kids to show up, and then you got the trick-or-treaters themselves and how they should how they should go about their business tomorrow. So let's let's start with that. Maybe some tips for the for the trick-or-treaters. What would you sure. say for kids heading out with their parents tomorrow night? What would you say would be like uh, on your list of tips? First, I guess small groups. And so don't go with 30 of your friends, go with your immediate family or your very close friends who are already within your small bubble. Second, try and integrate some masks into your costumes. Um, I think we can do some cool things with masks and costumes. Wearing multiple masks, and so costume masks and like medical masks on top of it may be a bit too much and may have challenges with some smaller kids. Um, but trying to integrate your mask into your costume is great. And then not going into people's houses, obviously. Maintaining yeah. distance while you're walking around and then not going in too much. Avoiding yelling. Um, I think when we yell trick-or-treat, um, that increases our risk of spraying droplets around so we can just say trick-or-treat um, and still have fun with that. And I think those are the main things for the kids walking around. How, how about if you have a child who's feeling a little under the weather or an adult who's got a, you know, not feeling well, you should just stay home? Yeah, no, I, I think yeah. if anyone is having any symptoms of any sort, they shouldn't participate this year around. Um, right. Keeping yourself, and like the rules like any time else right now, is that if you're feeling symptomatic, um, isolate yourself. Okay, I've seen some tips that I think like, oh man, are we really, do we really got to go this far? Like disinfect the kids' candy. Like seriously, I'm going to have to wipe down <laughs> all the different little bits of candy when we get home or, or to quarantine the candy for a few days. Don't let the kids eat it for a few days just in case there's some virus on there. I mean, I don't know. Can we go over the top on this stuff or would you actually recommend that? Yeah, there are lots of tips floating around out there. But what we think here anyway is that like the, the risk of getting coronavirus from a candy wrapper is so, so small. If yeah. we keep our hands clean, um, so keeping our hands sanitized while we're eating, um, then we should be okay. And so we don't recommend cleaning every single treat um, by and large because okay. it doesn't make a lot of sense. And we've learned over the past nine months that disease transmission through things is much less common than disease transmission through people. Okay, doc, uh, speaking to Dr. Srinivas Murthy from the UBC Faculty of Medicine about Halloween tomorrow night. How about some tips for the candy givers, the people who are handing out candy, which will include myself tomorrow if we get some kids at the door. I'm planning yeah. to wear, have my, have my uh, mask ready. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mask up and I'll have my mask on if kids come to the door. Do you think that's a good idea? Yeah, mask on is a yeah. good idea when you're handing out candy, and that's the recommendation. Also, I think Dr. Henry mentioned in your preamble as well, being creative of how you give candy to the kids. And so you don't want to actually hand each individual piece of candy to the hands of a kid, because that increases transmission possibilities. And so what I've done in my house is set up a little chute at my front step, and candy can slip down there. You can use a baking sheet I've seen people use. I've seen tongs of handing candy to kids. 
there's lots of different ways of getting candy from your house into a bowl or into a kid's basket. I was thinking of doing up maybe a couple, some grab bags. Like in, in our neighborhood, we usually don't get a, a whole ton of kids in our neighborhood. It's usually kind of a smaller turnout. So I was thinking, you know, maybe I could get some little paper bags and do up some little sort of takeaway, you know, Halloween gift bag, grab bags, maybe set them up outside in a little table or something like that. You think that would yeah, work? That's a, yeah, that's a great idea. As long as it's not a big giant basket of things and the kids aren't rummaging through it all at the same time, um, that would be a problem. But if they're separated on a table and you keep on replenishing it every now and then um, and they're reasonably distant, that could work. Okay, and for the kids out there, while you're out, you mentioned go out in smaller groups and maintain that distance too, right? So ma- keep maintaining yeah. your social distance? Yeah, yeah. In Halloween and past days, kids used to crowd into doors and different groups used to interact on street corners and um, people used to crowd into driveways. I think trying to avoid that um, is pretty crucial right now. And so if you see a family in front of you trick-or-treating, wait for them to leave and then walk up to the doorstep to keep that distance um, reasonably safe. Hey, Dr. Murthy, while I've got you here, you're an infectious disease expert. Let me ask you about some of the, some of the issues we're facing here in British Columbia with the second wave of, of the virus. And it's interesting to hear Dr. Bonnie Henry talk about it's an expectation that people should wear a face mask if they're out in public in an indoor public space, not a direct order, not a public health order to mask up. I've, I don't know, I've heard some divisions even among doctors about what is the, is the best way to go here, a recommendation or an actual mandatory order. What, what are your thoughts on that? What would be the best way to go? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, and I'm probably not the best person to ask on that. I think you have to talk to some behavioral scientists and some psychologists as to what the best way of getting people to do something is. Is it to force them to do it or is it to ask them and trust that they're going to listen? Attached to that is how are you going to enforce it? And so if it's yeah. a mandatory thing and getting a, a store employee to, to mandate a, a, a customer to do something, um, it's sometimes difficult in asking too much of that store employee. And so I think all of those things are considerations as we make that sort of expectation versus mandatory type language. Yeah, I think that's why Dr. Henry seems to be leaning toward the expectation side of the equation there. But I don't know, maybe that will change depending on the COVID numbers that we continue to experience. It was interesting to see her do her briefing yesterday on location in Surrey because we've seen such a, a large outbreak or a surge in the Fraser Health region. Do you think there could be individual sort of region-specific public health orders if we continue to see those sort of isolated numbers going up? Yeah, no, that's definitely a possibility. Obviously, yeah. like we'd want to have less orders and have case counts go down. But if we see targeted areas where there is specific activities that are associated with increased spread, that yeah. could definitely be something that could be implemented in terms of limiting those activities. Thanks for coming on today. No worries. Have a good Halloween. Okay, here's another eternal debate, indoor versus outdoor cats. A lot of people have strong feelings about this. Should you let your cat roam free out of doors or should you keep your cat indoors? There's been lots of reports and studies about the number of birds that are killed every year by domestic house cats. I guess that's that's pretty sad, but now check this out. In Saanich, now that's a suburb of Victoria, one person obviously angry about outdoor cats coming onto his property. Now, whoever this person is posted an anonymous warning 
in the neighborhood. Put up a sign. And here's what the sign says. If you are the owners of these beasts, please be warned. We do not want them pooping in our yard or stalking the birds. And then it goes on. It says, we have set traps throughout our property. And if we catch any of these cats, we will not be taking them to the SPCA to be returned to you. So be a responsible pet owner. Keep your cats at home. Now, no one in the neighborhood knows who posted this. An anonymous message been posted in the neighborhood. But some people have said they, some of their cats are missing. Ah, this has got the neighborhood really up in arms here. Now, have a listen to this. This is one of the neighbors here, Bobby Turner. Here she is talking to Victoria's Check TV. I find it very disturbing. I think that the fact that it's anonymous is also not what we stand for in this community. Uh, you know, open dialogue is always better than threats. Okay, it's Bobby Turner talking to Check TV there in Victoria. Now, here's Dan Brown, who's the local animal control officer. Here's his thoughts. They should be in touch with us, and then we can help uh, with work with them and the cat owners to help solve their problem, not going about like a vigilante uh, doing it yourself. Uh, yeah, don't be uh, trapping people's cats and pr- threatening to not return them to their rightful owners. Okay, what an issue this is. Let's check in now with Leslie Steves. She is the founder of Rome, BC, reuniting owners with animals missing. And Leslie, it's very nice to have you on. Thanks for doing this. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. And I just want to clarify one thing. Sure. There are several founders of Rome, and I am one of them. We have uh, we have uh, four administrators, and uh, yeah, we're a, we're a team. So I, I'm not the only one here. <laughs> okay, that's good to do. You guys do great work there. Thank you for doing this. So, so what do you think of this uh, situation in in uh, suburban Victoria? There, with this someone threatening to trap outdoor cats. What do you think of that? It's it's unsettling to say the least. Yeah. This is kind of my neighborhood. This is you know Sandwich Peninsula. It's uh, it's a pretty nice place to be most of the time. Yes. Um, but as you heard in the uh, clip you played earlier, uh, I spoke to a lot of neighbors there yesterday, and everybody is really um, disconcerted that that this kind of uh, threat is um, was made in their in their neighborhood. Yeah, I can see how that would certainly be upsetting. Now, let's say you have a property owner who is unhappy with an outdoor cat coming into the yard, maybe pooping on their property or whatever, killing birds in the backyard. Like, if if someone does have a concern about that, what should they do? I mean, they shouldn't be trapping other people's pets. Absolutely not. And I completely understand their frustration. Nobody sure. nobody wants to be doing it gardening or enjoying their, their yard and coming across that kind of stuff. And, and then there is the issue of, you know, the songbirds. Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, many people put food out and, and feed the birds to enjoy them in their yard. Um, but yeah, that's uh, trapping a cat and, and, and not returning it to the owner or not dealing with the proper authority for the area. In this particular case, it would be the North Senate Municipal Bylaw Officer and the CRD um, um, Animal Control. Right. Um, yeah, but just, just, just to trap somebody's animal is, is, is not right. And trapping is a really, it's, it's not a matter of just setting up a trap and letting an animal go in it. You, you, the potential for um, trapping other animals like raccoons and mm-hmm. otters, et cetera. And then you have to let that animal out, <laughs> right. you know? So it's, it's something that, 
it's not really for the faint of heart. A, a, a trap has to be monitored 24 hours a day. A cat trapped in um, even a humane trap can be incredibly stressed out, can injure themselves. So, yeah, it's not, you just can't throw them in a trap and then, um, you know, drive them out to a remote area and drop them off. Yeah, no, it is a disturbing uh, threat that was posted in, in that neighborhood there. And, and the sign said that they would trap the cat in some sort of a humane trap, but then would not return them to the owner or to the SPCA. And it, it, I guess it's left unsaid what would happen to the cat. So it's it's disturbing. But is that legal, by the way? Is it legal to set a humane trap on your own property to capture a, a cat or any other animal? Can you Is that allowed? Well, I listened to Don Brown. He's the CRD um, head here in uh, on in Victoria, yeah. and uh, you know he basically said no, it, it's not the a legal thing to do. Uh, you know, a wandering cat, um, the homeowner can be fined a hundred dollars, but obviously with cats, it doesn't happen all that much. Right. And as far as trapping them goes, um, you can be charged with uh, with cruelty. Um, for doing that. So these vigilante actions are, are not the way to go, for sure. Right. What do you think about the whole debate of indoor versus outdoor cats? I mean, this is like an internal kind of struggle, but what are your, what are your thoughts on it? It's a really big question. It's a really polarized subject. Um, you know, I, I've been doing um, this, you know, animal care thing for the past eight years publicly. And um, I have to say personally, this isn't speaking for our our organization, but personally, um, yesterday morning and this morning, um, I dealt with two deceased cats that were hit by cars. And, um, you know, I I pop out and I scan them for a chip, check for tattoos, and then make sure that they get to the right authority. After you do that, uh, a lot of times, you you start to think, boy, if I got a cat now, um, I would have an indoor cat. Uh, yeah. It's such a busy world out there. There's more of us. There's more houses, cars, everything. I just I just don't know if it's um, if it's the thing to do these days. You know, there's lots of uh, there's lots of programs for barn cats um, that are feral, and that's a different case, but. As far as just having a pet cat, I would personally keep it in my house. I would do everything I could to create a space that was, you know, good for the cat. Okay. What do you guys do over there, by the way, Leslie, at Rome, B.C.? Could you briefly tell the listeners what the, the work that you guys do there? Um, our work is predominantly on Facebook. We, uh, if somebody's pet is missing, we, we uh, create a post for their pet. We, we spread the word. Uh, we do search and rescue. Um, if a cat is trapped or if a dog is running down the street in, you know, Sanitary Victoria or Sydney, we, we get teams out. We've got 200 active volunteers. Um, wow. We, you know, when a dog is missing, we get up signboards. We get crews out going with posters. We recently had a beautiful girl here in, um, in the Colwood-Langford area. Her name was Valentina beautiful uh golden retriever and she took off into the woods dragging a long line um she was gone for 13 days and uh you know of course the concern was that she could be tangled up somewhere on her long line and uh you know we had search parties that were attended by 
sometimes 30 people and uh, just getting the word out. And then on the 13th day, there she was, Lucky Valentina. Oh, that's great news. That's lucky number 13. Wow, 13 yeah. days. Wow, that's a long time. 13 days, yeah. Gee whiz. Okay, Leslie, uh, congratulations on the great work you do there at Rome, B.C., and thanks for coming on with your thoughts on this today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. you. All right, welcome back. All right, let's get it on here. Indoor versus outdoor cats, 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Lisa in North Delta. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Um, yeah, I just think it's safer for the cat if the cat is indoors rather than outdoors. Um, I mean, they can get hit by a car. They can get attacked by coyotes. It's just, in my mind, I think it's better for the cat to be yeah. indoors. Do you have an indoor cat yourself? I used to, yeah. Okay. Would your yeah. cat, do you think your cat ever got bored in, inside the house? Oh, no. Okay. He, yeah, he was a very playful cat. So, yeah, no, there was always stuff for him to do, but... Um, yeah, I just think it's safer for the cat, personally. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah, yeah I've, I've heard that argument from people. Well, my cat would be just bored stiff if he had to stay inside all, all the time. 604-280-9898 is the number to call me. Tell me what you think. Star 9898 on your cell. Pat in Kamloops. Hi, Pat. Hi. Hi there. I, I think the cats should be licensed like dogs. Uh, if you're taking them outside, they should be on a leash. Uh, main reason being is... Uh, I don't like them when they come and poop in my garden and I've got to do garden work and it, you know, it smells and yeah. yeah. Okay. I just think they should have the cats in, uh, on a leash if they're outside. Okay, Pat, thanks for the call. I've often wondered how effective it would be trying to, thank you, Pat, trying to walk a cat on a leash. I've seen people doing it though. I mean, I was out the other day and I saw a per- person walking their cat on a leash and the cat seemed to be fine with it. So, Maybe it's easier than than I think. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898, toll free on your cell. Charles in Abbotsford. Hi, Charles. Good morning, Mr. Smith. It's a Hi. pleasure to contribute to the program. Yes, um, we have two indoor cats. Uh, they, we live on the third floor in the Manpreet Estate Apartments, and I'm of the belief that indoor cats have a, have a much longer lifespan. I mean, there there there's no... Uh, danger of them getting attacked. Uh, maybe when you think of the cats outdoors, and I've heard the odd cat during the night getting frantic and angry because it's oh, yeah. one cat's in, encroaching on its ter- encroaching on its territory. So uh, there's an advantage to having an indoor cat and keeping it inside because it has a much longer lifespan, sir. Okay, Charles. Thanks for that. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid. Like I said, we had this outdoor cat, and oh man, this this cat. He was a tomcat. He used to go out and get into trouble. He would come back and he'd be, be kind of beat up. We'd have to kind of patch him up and and then he'd go out again. And maybe sometimes he'd disappear for a day or two. That was such a long time ago. I was just a little kid. And I think maybe, I don't know, maybe sensibilities have changed on, on that kind of thing. But on the other hand, I see outdoor cats around my neighborhood and I kind of, I don't know, I kind of like the, the cats in my neighborhood too. So I, like I said, kind of see both sides of it. Peter and Surrey. Hiya, Peter. Hey, Mike. Uh, hey. I actually think it's a real irresponsible, and I think it's terrible to let cats run around. You need a dog license. I don't understand why people always let their cats run around. I think it's horrible. They're in my yard. I had my neighbor. I warned him three times last year. I finally sat us out with a pellet gun. I shot him in the rear end. He never oh, came back. Oh. I, got no, I got no problem doing that. These cats well, are running around rampant yeah. in the neighborhoods, and you tell your neighbor three times, and he says, I don't care. It's a cat. 
Uh-uh. Keep your cats in the house or in your yard, and that's okay. the end of it. The SPCA should pick them up and throw them away. They really All should. All right. Well, gee, I don't know about that. You know, I, I, I would not endorse that. And come on, shooting a cat with a pellet gun? Give me a break. I think that's going going too far. I mean, if you're having trouble with a cat in your neighborhood, just like we heard from the animal control officer earlier, there are the authorities you can call. You can call someone, but I, I would not I would not advise that. I don't like that. Michael and Surrey. Hey, Michael. Hey, Mike. A uh, couple of comments. One historical, and that is that uh, when I was a kid, and that was many years ago, dogs could not could roam anywhere they wanted. There was no wow. control. I grew up in Langley. There were dogs everywhere. Well, that is no longer allowed. So obviously, I don't. I'm not in favor of dogs ro- uh, of cats roaming. They should be licensed. And the only other comment I want to make, and it was just a special. I believe it was on the CBC uh, TV uh, on our on our songbirds. Cats yeah. are the number one reason for the loss of songbirds. Yeah. No, it's a good point, Michael. Thank you for that. We've done segments on that on the show earlier, too. I've had experts on who've done some studies on that, on the number of birds that, that are killed by cats. And you're right. I mean, it's a lot. Gail in North Van. Hiya, Gail. I have two stories. One is my indoor cat escaped after I had just moved. He was 17 and was ravaged, torn to pieces by a dog oh. from across the street. So oh, dear. that's one. But the other one was many years later, I was walking my dog uh, in in the forest, and yeah. uh, she deked into some bushes off the path and came out with a cat skull. Oh, gee whiz. So, uh, you know, we have coyotes in North Vancouver. We have all kinds of um, predators on cats, and so yeah. I really don't. And, and we have one cat that roams our neighborhood, and he likes to sit on the fence and drive my dogs just crazy <laughs> okay so you all know right. i mean i see it from all points of views but yeah. i i will say that i don't think it's safe for a cat to be outside alone okay thank you gail all right let's talk about the u.s presidential election now voting day in the united states this tuesday the whole world will be watching what happens here donald trump seeking re-election to the white house for another four years versus his Democratic rival, former Vice President Joe Biden. Now, you take a look at the opinion polls, Biden continuing to hold that lead nationally, but I don't know. I think this is up in the air. We saw how Trump was losing in the last election, still managed to pull it out. I'll say one thing about Trump. He is campaigning hard here in the race to the finish line. He's throwing everything he's got at Biden. Have a listen to this. Here's Trump on the campaign trail. If you vote for Biden... It means no kids in school, no graduations, no weddings, no Thanksgiving, no Christmas, and no Fourth of July together. Other than that, you have a wonderful life. <laughs> oh, wow. Trump's, Biden's going to cancel Christmas? No, come on. I think he's talking about the COVID-19 pandemic there. He doesn't like the lockdowns, Trump. Okay, let's talk about this now with my guest, Dave Korzynski. He's a research director at the Angus Reed Institute. Dave, thanks for coming on. No problem. Anytime. Okay, this is going to be exciting on Tuesday, to say the least. I'm going to be glued to my TV set for sure. What's your latest polling tell you, telling you about this race in the United States? Let's talk with some of the big picture polling. Biden's still got that lead, right? Yeah, I like that you're, you're looking forward to it with excitement. I don't know what, what uh, the word is that I'm going to feel on Tuesday, but I guess excitement <laughs> could be one of them. Um, it, we're certainly looking to get uh, some answers, because if you look at the, the polling, um, 
know, Biden still has has a, a decent lead. He's up eight points uh, in our polling at, at this point. And it's worth noting, you know, when we did this last time, we were within about a couple of points and we had Hillary up four. So she ended up winning the winning by two points, which wasn't enough to carry the uh, the ever contentious electoral college. Um, eight points does put Biden in a pretty good position if you extrapolate that to just where he would sit in the electoral college. Um, obviously, too too close to really make any proclamations now. Um, but the Democrats, I would say, are probably a little bit more comfortable than they were last time. Um, and I think that the pollsters have learned a lot of lessons about. Uh, their projections and just the way that they're polling. So I think there's a little more confidence this time, um, but we'll have to wait and see. There's there's so many different elements to this, uh, including that early voting. Yeah, you've really, of course, the electoral college system they have in the United States is, is critical here because you've got an eight-point lead for Biden nationally, but, you know, he could have, a lot of that could be big leads in some Democratic states like California, for example. So, you know, like Hillary Clinton, as you mentioned, won the popular vote last time, but Trump still won in the Electoral College. So I guess it comes down to those handful of closely contested swing seats and whether Trump can can pull it out that way. But when you take a look, when you drill down on some of those close lo- closely contested states, uh, what are the polls looking like there? A closer race in some of the close close states? Yeah, really, really quite close. Um, you know, yeah. if you look at some of the projections um, that uh, pollsters have done, and uh, including our own, and and using five thirty eight as well, they they tend to aggregate them, and they'll they'll put a, a projection for you. Um, and the good news for Biden is that he's he's in areas where. Um, you know they're 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 tough ones for Democrats to win. Sometimes you know he's he's got a fifty fifty shot. They're projecting um, in a place like Florida, in North Carolina, right. um, in Georgia, and those are areas where you know if if a Democrat can can pull those out, then this the situation looks really quite good for him. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned, you never want to really focus too heavily on that popular vote because. Right. Uh, New York is is pretty much a lock for for Trump. Uh, California is a lock for Trump. Or sorry for for Biden, flip those. Biden, right? Um, and he's going to get so many more votes there. But the that we talk about that sometimes in Canada in terms of vote efficiency, where yeah. you know the Conservatives will run the table in Alberta and their their vote will actually look good. In the case of our federal election, they won the popular vote. They lost the minority government because it right. matters where those votes are. So a lot of a lot of fifty fifty kind of coin flip looking outcomes right now. Um, but I think if, if if Biden and his team are are looking anywhere, they're looking at you know Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, tough tough places where they're they're looking like they they might have the advantage now with you know like a, a seven to ten point lead. Okay, I wonder, Dave, if if sometimes the uh, the Trump support is underestimated. Let, let me play this for you. This is Michael Moore, the well known documentary filmmaker, very liberal, very pro Biden, very pro Democrat, and here he is. Uh, talking to the Hill TV in Washington, D.C., and why he thinks maybe the polls could be a bit wrong. Michael Moore. It is not an accurate count. I think the safe thing to do, this is not scientific, I'm just saying from my experience of being a Michigander, whatever they're saying the Biden lead is, cut it in half right now in your head. Cut it in half, and now you're within the four-point margin of error. Yeah, I, I guess, Dave, his argument is that some of these Trump supporters don't trust the pollsters. They think they're part of the deep state or something and may just refuse to answer 
or maybe answer in a way to that's not truthful. We just got a minute left, but do you think that's a factor? Is I mean, is it tough to measure Trump's support in some ways? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think that's one of the things yeah. that that pollsters have realized uh, in the last five years or so is that sometimes people aren't going to tell you the truth. They might not. Right. You know, when you look at the polling response rates, too, you know, 95% of people don't answer phone polls. So it's hard to reach people. It's difficult to get an accurate reading. So you have to take things with a grain of salt. And like we said, we'll have to wait until Tuesday until we know for sure. Because if you're off a couple of points, uh, that can be basically the entire election. So okay. we're, we're excited. Okay, Dave, thanks for coming on today. No problem. You take care.